encourage these people. I remember when I first heard about the First Baptist Church in Bethlehem, Israel, I thought, boy, boy, it'd be great to have a church in Bethlehem. Uh, Bethlehem is an awful place to have a church. And here's the reason. Uh, in Bethlehem is an, is an Arab village and they hate Christianity. And this, this young boy named Corey is a Palestinian Arab. He came to Christ, came to America, went to Bible college, went back and started this church in the middle of where they hate, they hate Christianity. They've tried to kill him. They've done everything to oppose his ministry. And so what we want to do is encourage him. First Baptist Church in Bethlehem. I think he started a church in Jerusalem and several other places. So these are the people that are out on the front line, and I want you to join with me. And the only way that we're ever going to be able to do this, make this high goal this year, is that you're going to have to pray about your part. I'm going to pray about my part. We're going to ask the Lord what we can do to help us send out this money to all these missionaries around the world. If you pray about your part, I think God will lay it on your heart. Give more to Jesus than any other single person on your Christmas list. Put him at the top. Give by faith and then, of course, thank the Lord that we get to get the giving because the givers are more blessed than the receivers, the Bible says. It's more blessed to give than what? Receive, right? So pray over this list with me. I'm doing it every day now. I'm praying down each name. I'm asking God to lay it upon your heart, my heart, to choose some of these projects and say, okay, we'll take that on for Christmas. We're going to need a lot of $1,000 gifts, a lot of $500 gifts, just a lot of them, because our goal is $70,000 this year. So I, I think we can, we can do it if we all pray about our part. Also, uh, Thursday, or excuse me, Wednesday evening is our communion service, our Thanksgiving communion service. Please put that on your calendar and be here. Bring some friends with you. If you have relatives visiting you for that time, bring them in, and we'll enjoy a time of nice Thanksgiving worship this Wednesday evening at 7. Also, you see the big backdrop behind me. People, the tickets are flying out of here. I just walked out there uh, between services, and I saw so many tickets are already gone. Uh, you pray about who you can bring this year to the dinner theater. It's designed for you just to bring a friend Spend time with them. Talk to them about the things of the Lord. And uh, it's, a, it's a nice night out, and it's for sure it's a great meal. So after the service, please pick up your tickets for that. Let's stand together, please, as our ushers come this morning, and we'll receive our morning offering together at this time. Thank you so much for your faithfulness in giving each week. It uh, enables us to keep the church moving down the road and... Uh, paying our commitments on time. Dear Lord, we thank you for your love and how you take care of us, uh, how you've blessed our church. We pray now that as, uh, as our church comes to bless you, that, that we'll do it with a heart that is overfilled over with love for you, Lord. We pray now that you'll bless each gift and each giver. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You may be seated.
Would you please stand with us one last time? It is all about the cross, and it's all about a heart of worship. And as we sing this song, we would like you to sing it as a praise to the Lord this morning because he is worthy of all that we have. He is worthy of all of our heart, all our soul, all our mind. And we want to adore him this morning. When the music fades and all is stripped away and I simply come longing just to bring something that's a word that will bless your It's all about 
Let's open our Bibles this morning, please, to the book of Exodus, the second book in the Bible, book of Exodus, chapter 1, God's way out of bondage. We're going to begin reading in verse number 8. Scripture says, Now there arose a new king over Egypt who did not know Joseph. You know, I've been telling you for a number of weeks that life is about influence. It's not about uh, money we have. It's not about the places we've been. It's not about the people we know necessarily. It's about influence. Uh, one of the most influential persons in all the world was Joseph. Uh, remember the, the kid with the coat of many colors. Uh, he went down to Egypt and uh, he organized it in such a way that they became the, the granary of the world and they uh, fed the world for many years. But uh, here the Bible says Joseph is gone. Uh, it's probably been about uh, 65 years. And a lot of things can happen in that period of time. A new regime has come on the scene in Egypt that doesn't even know about the influence of Joseph. And he said to his people, look, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we are, this new regime. Come, let us deal shrewdly with them, let us mult lest they multiply, and it happen in the event of war that they will join our enemies and fight against us, and so go up out of the land. Therefore they set taskmasters over them to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh's supply cities, Python, and Ramses. For the more they afflicted them, the more they multiplied and grew, and they were in dread of the children of Israel. This is a new phenomenon right here. Whenever that little group of Israeli, uh, Israelis came into Egypt, they were so small and they were non-threatening. But uh, they've been producing children like crazy, and they've been growing. And now they are, uh, they are looked upon with suspicion and fear, verse 13. So the Egyptians made the children of Israel serve with rigor, and they made their lives bitter with hard bondage in mortar, in brick, and in all manner of service in the field, and all their service in which they made them serve with rigor. Then the king of Egypt spoke to, to the Hebrew midwives, of whom the name of one of them was Shepara, and the name of the other, Pua. And he said, When you do the duties of a midwife for Hebrew women and see them on the birth stools, if it is a son, then you shall kill him. But if it's a daughter, then, you sh then she shall live. If they, to any boys born, uh, eliminate them. Any girls, they're allowed to live. And the midwives feared God and did not do as the king of Egypt commanded them, but save the male children. So the king of Egypt called for the midwives and said to them, Why have you done this thing 
and save the male children alive. And the midwife said to Pharaoh, Because the Hebrew women are not like the Egyptian women, for they are lively and give birth before the midwives come to them. Therefore God dealt well with the midwives, and the people multiplied and grew very greatly. Verse 22. So Pharaoh commanded all the people, saying, Every son who is born you shall cast him into the river, and every daughter you shall save alive. You know, whenever you read the Old Testament, uh, sometimes I think you do what I do. You scratch your head and say, why am I reading this? Uh, There are so many hard names. There are so many strange experiences. You know, I know that the New Testament seems more to apply to my life today and to the life of the church. It's the story of the birth of the church and development of the church and all of that. Why do I read the Old Testament? Well, in 1 Corinthians 10.13... I think we get a really good explanation of why we read that. It says this, All these events happened to them as examples for us. They were written down to warn us uh, who live at the time when the age is drawing to a close. This is so interesting to me. So what this means is when we read the Old Testament, those examples happened Uh, Those stories happen to be an example for you and me. They're recorded for us. That's why we're supposed to read the Old Testament. They were written down to warn us, to be a warning for us. So when we read something in the Old Testament that uh, where God judged this nation, we're supposed to be alert. Let's not let that happen to us. That's the way God deals with nations. And here the Bible says this, who live at the time... When the age is drawing to a close, every time something happens in the Middle East, uh, Christians get a little uneasy, don't we? Uh, we think uh, Armageddon is always around the corner, and it very well could be. But here the Bible says in 1 Corinthians ten eleven that uh, these Old Testament stories are written to warn us, especially the people that are living toward the end of the age, and we presume that that's probably us. And so that's why we should dig into the Old Testament. Here we find in verse number 8, there's a new family, a new regime has taken the throne. You know, it doesn't take long for a good influence to wear off in a country, you know that? Some of us of the older generation remember when in America that uh, America seemed to be pretty strong spiritually. But those things have changed, and here's an example of it changing in the Old Testament. These people didn't even know Joseph. Maybe they saw that he wasn't recorded in their history very well. They didn't care who he was or the influence that he had. Well, this nation uh, that was one time welcomed with open arms by Pharaoh placed in the land of Goshen, which was the most fertile land of Egypt. Now they are looked upon with suspicion and fear. They were afraid of Israel because Israel wouldn't assimilate into their society. They were separate from their society. And the thing that made them separate is what they believed. They believed in monotheism, that is, that there is just one God that people should worship. And this really ran uh, against the beliefs of the Egyptians. 
because they had many gods. And uh, the Israelites were so exclusive in what they believed. They wouldn't assimilate. Uh, they, um, they kept having children. They were so fruitful. And so the reason that the bondage came upon them here in the first chapter that we're reading about is because these people were too fruitful. They were filling the land. The census report was exploding. And these people are saying to themselves, what happens if they become more than we are? Uh, Egypt was afraid of them because they were afraid of their enemies. And they thought whenever the enemies come in, we don't really know where their loyalties lie. And they might join with the enemies and come against us. And so let's make life really hard for them. Let's make them builders. And so the decree went out to build. And that didn't work. It seemed like the harder they made it for the Israelites, the more children they had. And so they said the only way to stop this population explosion is to take the lives of these little babies that are coming along in the nation of Israel. And so the faithful decree went out. Let's kill the boys. And they ordered the midwives, but it, as you read, as we read this morning, that didn't work. Uh, the midwives were God's people in every day living their life out by faith. Uh, they were the heroes of that time. They wouldn't obey the king's commandment. You know, and this is something that you and I need to be aware of in the church. There's the commandments of God in the Bible, and we are bound to live by them. And then there are commandments uh, that are other commandments uh, coming our direction, and we are to live by them when they, when they align with what the Bible says. And when they don't, and uh, when there's such a friction between the two, uh, we are to listen to God. God's commandment, and that's what the midwives did. They were making a difference in their world, these midwives. And you know, today I think we can apply that to our life. Uh, sometimes in the church, you look at certain people around the church and you say, well, this person is a teacher, this person is a preacher, this person is a singer, this person does that, and uh, God is really using them. But you know, God is really using everybody in the church. Uh, God is using everybody in everyday life to be his influence in this world. Uh, who would have thought that God would take these humble souls called midwives, and these midwives would see to it in some special way where these babies, their lives would not be taken. God's using you wherever you work and wherever you live to serve him, making a difference in your world. Uh, the nation of Israel was under a lot of pressure, and so they cried out to God. And when people cry out to God, God responds to that cry. I love Romans ten thirteen. It says, For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. Uh, I, I don't think there's ever been a sinner that called out on the name of the Lord that wasn't saved. Because the Bible says that whenever we call upon him, he listens to us, he hears us. Call upon me and ask me and I'll, I'll respond to you. Well, that's what the nation of Israel was doing. They were calling out unto God. And that, that calling out unto God was the bridge between bondage and deliverance. Uh, God saw fit at this time to answer their prayer through a little baby. The word exodus means a way out. 
a baby in a basket. Who would have ever thought that this little baby in this little basket uh, would have been to deliver? You know, I know it takes, for parents today, I know it takes a lot of courage to be the right kind of parents. But, you know, they had to be more courageous than we are. Uh, because their very lives of their children were, uh, were at stake. Hebrews 11.23 says, By faith Moses, when he was born, was hidden three months by his parents because they saw he was a beautiful child and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. Every time I read that, I kind of smile because what parent has, has there ever been a parent that didn't think their child was a beautiful child? I don't think so. Uh, they thought he was a beautiful child, and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. You know, in the, in the New Testament, the authorities that were present tried to keep the church quiet. And Peter, in Acts chapter 5, verse 29, says, Listen, we ought to obey God rather than man. We have a commandment to go out and preach, and we're going to do that. And so in every generation, there are voices telling you and me not to obey God, not to listen to what God has to say. And in every generation, God's people have to stand up and say we have no choice. We have to obey God rather than man. And we have to be willing to pay the price. That's the way they were right there. You know, when children become hungry, they become vocal, don't they? In every crib, remember this, there is a potential deliverer. They made that little ark. They waterproofed it. And they launched it in the Nile River. And I never really understood this too well. Uh, the Nile River was a god to the nation of Israel. Uh, look it up on the computer and see what it does for the nation of Israel. It floods. And in the flood, it brings all this rich soil down into Egypt. And that soil goes out in the flood. And when the waters recede, that soil is there. And they plant their crops in that soil, and they worship the Nile River as though it were a god. And so here is the Nile River, and they come up with a little plan that uh, they are going to launch this baby. And I thought, boy, isn't that a dangerous situation? Uh, I went to Egypt one time, and we were actually out on the Nile River, and somebody said, don't put your hand in the water. There are piranhas in there. And so I sat the rest of the time on that little boat like this, you know, and I kept uh, encouraging Rose Momitis, Rosie, you can put your hand in the water. Go ahead. Uh, we were having a good time in the Nile River. And I often thought about that. They launched this little, uh, they launched this little baby out in this ark. But as I was further reading about it, there was probably a place uh, where the... Uh, the Pharaoh's daughter came down to bathe in the river that was cordoned off to keep, uh, you know, made safe and secure from alligators and all those other things like that. And it was probably there in that special place of bathing for Pharaoh's daughter that Miriam took her little brother Moses in this little basket and launched that basket there, hoping that uh, the good-heartedness of Pharaoh's daughter may shine upon little Moses. We have to remember that not everybody in the land was going to listen to the decree of Moses. Maybe there were people in his administration that didn't want to listen to him. Uh, 
and especially his daughter. And, this, and they launched that little baby out in the, the Nile River, and they had a plan. And I was reading that maybe God gave them this plan because it was a plan that really worked. Launch the little baby. Maybe somebody will see the baby and have compassion on the baby. And if the baby just cries at the appropriate time, it's going to work. And so they launched that baby. Uh, They did have compassion upon that baby. And an angel came by and pinched the baby at the appropriate time. And the baby began to cry. And what woman cannot have compassion on a crying baby? Well, that's exactly what happened. The plan worked beautifully. Pharaoh's daughter said, listen, why don't you go find one of the Hebrew women and have that woman be the nurse for this little child we found in the river? And Miriam said, you know, I just know the right person for this job. And it just so happened to be, as you know, Moses' mother. And she even got some money. They even paid her to do that. And so God's plan worked pretty well. And so for the next 40 years, the Bible says that Moses was was being educated in Egypt. You've heard about people that were born with a silver spoon in their mouth. He had a lot more than that. He had all of Egypt at his feet. But one day he decided to make a decision. It was the hour of decision. He looked out and he looked upon the needs of his people because I think that As he was growing up, not only was he raised in Pharaoh's daughter's house, but his real family had interaction with him. And I think they were teaching him the roots that he had and the teachings of God. And these things were, he was trying to wrestle with, do I I serve Egypt or do I serve God? And eventually he came to the place that he had to make a real decision, and he did, and he made the right decision. And he decided that he was going to change families. Uh, he was known as the daughter of, or the son of Pharaoh's daughter, but he wanted to be known as a son of God. This would cost him dearly. But you know, the thing that really moved his heart is when he saw his, his, uh, the Israelites suffering under bondage. That's what really prompted him to make this decision. I heard about a man who worked downtown in a large city. Each day he rode a commuter train from his beautiful suburban house to the inner city. The train went through the impoverished areas, the decaying tenements, the dilapidated public housing, the dingy streets. And when it closed down, he could see in the bleak apartments, and especially if it went real slow, he could look into the eyes of those who lived there. The unemployed people were gathered around a fire in a vacant lot, waiting for someone to come by and pick them up for a day's labor. He could see the children playing on a dusty basketball court, skipping school, and wondering who cared about them. At work, he would often catch himself staring into space, thinking about all these people in this desperate environment. And it became increasingly hard for him to deal with this, would even keep him up at night, When he closed his eyes, he thought about it. It was a depressing scene. And he finally decided to do something about it. And he did. From that point in time, he still rode the same commuter train 
but he pulled down the blinds so he didn't have to look at the depressing environment around him. He has a, a semblance of peace now or I, uh, some sort of peace, but what a terrible price he paid for it. Um, I think Moses was like that man. I think for about the first 40 years of his life, he went around and he had the blinds down. He probably saw all the pain that was going on with the people, but he chose not to look because his life was really neat and he had everything he wanted. Uh, he had the life that everybody dreamed about having. But then one day what Moses did is this. He put the blind up. He lifted the blind up. And he began to really see the people as they were. And he decided to do something about it. Hebrews eleven twenty four through 27 is um, a passage that deals with this. By faith Moses, when he became of age, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. I'm sure that in those first 40 years, he had plenty of passing pleasures of sin because sin is pleasurable. It does give you a little thrill for a little while, but it's only passing. And he learned the lesson well. Choosing uh, rather to suffer the the reproach of Christ greater riches than, than Egypt. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He chose, he made a decision, and this would be a hard decision to make, don't you think? He chose suffering over opulence. The treasures of Egypt, they were great. He turned his back on them. He wanted to be numbered with the people of God. And he knew that his way of living was not the way that he wanted to live. There was something inside of him. Let me say to you this morning, the faith of his mother, the faith of his father, eventually he couldn't take it any longer and he said, listen, I'm going to forsake all that this world offers me and I'm going to cast my lot with the people of God no matter what price I have to pay. Well, he made, that's a good decision, but then what happened is, you know, as the story goes on, he made a real bad decision. He went out and uh, he killed, he saw his people being taken advantage of, and he killed an Egyptian. That was a bad decision. And in Acts chapter 7, verse 23 through 25, uh, it explains why he did that. He did it for several purposes. First of all, he was so angry at what he saw, his anger got out of control. But he also did it to show the people of Israel that he wanted to be their deliverer. And he thought if he would kill this Egyptian that they would herald him as their deliverer and they would begin to follow him as their deliverer. But it backfired. They didn't want to follow him because of this, because of what he did. And Satan, or Pharaoh, who is a picture of Satan in the book of Exodus, uh, wanted to take his life, and so it was time for him to leave. The first 40 years, he made a good decision, he made a bad decision, and now he's on the run. 
And for the next 40 years, he spends his life in the wilderness. He gets out. A lot of times people think, well, you know, this is a waiting time for Moses. Uh, one commentator said it was more than a waiting time. It was a working time. Moses never worked so hard in his life when he became a shepherd. And so he was working away, and he, this is what he did. He, uh, he gave up his dream. His dream really was to deliver the nation of Israel. He gave it up. And uh, he went on with his life. And the reason why uh, is because that backfired on him. It didn't work the way he wanted it to work, and he thought it was over. But after 40 years, God resurrected this whole idea of deliverance. Someone said one time in Egypt, Moses learned how to be somebody. In Midian, he learned how to be nobody. And so for 40 years, Moses is out there as a shepherd. Quite a a difference between what he had in Egypt, right? I mean, he had it all. He was one of the successors to the throne of Egypt. The treasures of Egypt were all his. And so he's out there. And he's probably come to the place that he's actually saying to himself, you know, I'm really nobody. And I think then God said, okay, now you're ready to be my deliverer. Now you're ready. You tried it your way, now try it my way. And so uh, God reveals himself to Moses, chapter 3. Leaf over there with me, please. Verse number 2, the Bible says, The angel of the Lord appeared to him in a flame of fire from the midst of the bush. So he looked, and behold, the bush was burning with fire, but the bush was not consumed. You see, the angel of the Lord there, we believe, is the pre-incarnate Christ, Jesus, before the incarnation, the angel of the Lord. He appeared to him and he said, Now Moses, I will now turn, or Moses said, I will now turn aside and see this great sight, why the bush does not burn. And when the Lord, notice the word Lord, saw that he had turned aside to look, God called to him from the midst of the bush. God is identified with the angel of the Lord uh, and said, Moses, Moses, and he said, Here am I. Then he said, Do not draw near the place, take the your sandals off your feet, for the place where you stand is holy ground. I'm sure Moses got his shoes off really quickly right there. And he says, Moses, I've heard the cry of your people. Uh, Verse number seven, I've heard their cry. Uh, And I want to use you to bring the nation of Israel out of bondage. Well, you know, you've probably heard sermons or you've probably read the passages in the Bible where Moses makes all these excuses. People are good at excuses, right? Have you made your share? I've made more than my share. You know, the Lord calls us to do something and we always bring up an objection, okay? I just want to share a few of these because we do have time this morning with you. Look at verse number 11. Um, Verse 10, he says, I want you to bring my children out of Egypt. But Moses said to God, who am I that I should go to Pharaoh? Uh, He says, listen, Lord, uh, I'm not fit for this. 
God has been teaching Moses that he's nothing, and Moses believes it at this time. Uh, and then God answers him and says, listen, uh, he said, I'm, look at verse 12, and so he said, I will certainly be with you. He, he solves that problem. Moses said, listen, uh, and God says, listen, I'll be with you. Relax. I'm calling you to do something. Look at verse 13. Moses said to God, Indeed, when I come to the children of Israel and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they say to me, What is his name? What shall I say? He said, I don't know what to say, Lord. I don't know what to say. How many times has God asked you to do something and you've responded the very same way? I don't know what to say. Boy, count me in on that one. And look at chapter 4, verse 1. And Moses answered and said, But suppose they will not believe me or listen to my voice. What is he saying here? He is saying, I will fail. And how many times have you said that to the Lord? The Lord said, Listen, I want you to go do this. And you said, I can't do that. If I do it, I'll mess it up for sure. I've had so many people tell me that. If I, if Pastor, if you want me to do this... It, it'll be an explosion. I'll mess it up for sure. We are inclined to think that. I will fail. I'm just going to be a failure, Lord, if you make me do that. Uh, another couple things he says. Look at verse number 10. And Moses said to the Lord, Oh, my Lord, I am not eloquent. He said, Lord, I'm not a very good speaker. <laughs> now, I know you've said that, haven't you? Wow. How many times have you heard somebody talking about the Lord and you're just kind of like, wow, what a gift. And the Lord says, hey, now why don't you go talk to somebody about the Lord? And you said, boy, I can't speak like them. I don't have any ability like that. Well, uh, he used that. I'm not a good speaker. Well, the Lord came back and said, well, who made your mouth? And then he finally uh, is, uh, comes to the end of himself. And uh, verse 13, he says, and he said, Oh, my Lord, please send by the hand of whoever else you may send. He finally says, Find a replacement for me, Lord. I want out of this. Just get somebody else. He probably should have said this first, but the Lord had to work through all his arguments first. And then he finally ran out of arguments and he said, now listen, Lord, this is really what I want to tell you. Just get somebody else, okay? And so the Lord says, I know you have a brother. His name is Aaron and I hear he can speak well. And so why don't you get Aaron and uh, why don't you join up, link up with him and uh, you'll do this thing together. And so finally Moses gave in. And so here he is, look it. He is, his brother, I understand, is 83 years old. Moses is 80, <laughs> and here they go, <laughs> they're going on the biggest project they've ever gone on in their, in their life. They're going to go deliver the nation of Israel from bondage. So I can imagine as, uh, as uh, Moses went home, uh, he probably said, honey, we're moving, we're going back, we're going to Egypt. And it's interesting, here's this man that came out 40 years before with, this, with the scepter, uh, the rulership of Egypt in his hand, and now he goes back into Egypt with a simple rod, a shepherd's rod. 
in his hand to lead the people out. You know, it's amazing what God can do through someone who will use what God gives them. A shepherd's stick. Here, go lead the people out. Well, the story is is, uh, applicable to us today. The Lord sent a baby in a little ark to deliver them. In our situation, the Lord sent a baby too, the baby Jesus. He was born in Bethlehem of Judea in the days of Herod the king. And uh, he grew up among us and he saw us in our bondage. And, uh, And when he saw us, the Bible says this. And when he saw the multitudes, he was moved with compassion upon them because they were weary and scattered like sheep having no shepherd. And he said to the disciples, uh, these people are lost. They're going in the wrong direction. Pray the Lord of the harvest that he'll send forth labors into the harvest. He was moved with compassion upon them. They were weary and scattered. That's exactly what happened when Moses looked at the people back in that day. Now, Moses got enough courage from God to take on Pharaoh. Can you imagine that? Pointing his finger in the face of Pharaoh and saying, let my people go. We want to go into the wilderness and worship God. Well, Jesus took on Satan when he died upon the cross. Satan didn't want Jesus to die upon the cross, and he tried everything to keep him off the cross. But Jesus prevailed. And when he died upon the cross, he said loudly so everyone could hear, uh, the redemption price is paid in full. And he led captivity captive. He led us out of bondage. And ever since that time, uh, God has been using his family uh, to lead others out of bondage. Uh, We are the people of God today who are once in bondage. If If we went up and down the the aisles of our church, and you could tell your story, it would be a big story. You were in bondage, living in a dark place, and the Lord came to you and said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, because I am meek and lowly in spirit, and you'll find rest to your soul My burden is easy. My yoke is light. And we took him up on that. And uh, he said, now listen, I want you to come and worship me. And you know where we had to worship God? In the wilderness. We today have fellowship with God in the wilderness. Um, We're not in heaven, you know that? That's later. This is the wilderness. And the people of God came out in that day into the wilderness to worship God together. Uh, The wilderness is a hard journey, but God has promised to be with us in the wilderness. Do you feel like you're in the wilderness today? Say amen. Amen. We are, aren't we? And uh, the darker our world becomes, the more difficult it will be for us to walk for Christ. But the beautiful thing of it all is we have Christ in the wilderness. Amen. Christ in the wilderness. He is a light unto our path. He is a light for us. Uh, He leads us from steps to step. We have been delivered out of darkness. And uh, that story is a picture 
of our story today. Let's enjoy ourselves with Christ in the wilderness. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Into the wilderness for fellowship with God. And as we go into the wilderness, what we do is we encourage other people to go with us because we don't want to leave anybody behind in Egypt, the place of darkness, under the dominion of Pharaoh, who is a picture of Satan. We want them to come and enjoy this journey with us. Yeah, it's hard, but it's glorious all at the same time. And so if you're here today and you've never made the decision like Moses did uh, to join yourself with the people of God, uh, this would be a great day for you to do that. For you to turn your back on the, the life in, uh, in Egypt and join yourself with the people of God through Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus wants to save you. He wants to forgive you. And he wants you to join in with his people as we walk through the wilderness. And as we worship God, it's a glorious experience, and I want to encourage you to join us as we travel. Dear Lord, we thank you for this story in the Bible that makes, uh, makes it so plain to us. How you've heard our cry, how you've sent a deliverer in the form of a baby, in Bethlehem, and how he died upon the cross for our sins and paid the penalty that we owed to God. And now by coming to him and following him, we travel with the people of God through the wilderness. And uh, we sing the praises of God along the way. We pray, Lord, for those in our church this morning that may not be a part of the company that's marching in the wilderness. I pray that they will come to faith in Christ today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together as we sing our invitation song this morning. And on the very first verse, if you'd like to come and pray about anything that's going on in your life, please feel free to do that as we sing together. And I'm forgiven because you were forsaken. And I'm accepted. You were condemned. Spirit is within me because you died and rose
blessed day this is today. Uh, we are so thrilled that you are here to fellowship with us. Go home today, circle your calendar for Wednesday evening at 7 o'clock, and if, move everything out of your way and come and enjoy the fellowship of the church this Wednesday at 7. We're going to have communion together. Uh, there's some tickets still available to our dinner theater out in the foyer. Uh, please get as many as you need. Turn around and shake hands with as many people as you can find near you. God bless you.